I so I think we've got a very strong sense of common purpose around the MD group around you know, we've got an opportunity to take what we've done and turn this into a global force you know it's been I think they've been you know we're in stage three of the journey the first part of the journey was just getting up and running surviving we got first product around after six years that was a kind of first rubber stamping externally of okay if you're doing something well uh, and you've built a business of, of, of value and worth investing in the second thing was taking that concept and uh, starting to scale it and let it let it mature. That's taken us on the next four years to you know where we are today. And I think the third stage is extrapolating that out. You know, we've got a classroom to boardroom model, which I've not spoken about, but taking early stage talent and tracking them all the way through their their careers. But there's significant opportunity to to keep growing that, keep going up the food chain, internationalizing the business, and you know we leave an awful lot of work uh, on the table with either competitors or stuff that doesn't come our way. And it's a massive industry, right? So it's a, it's a, it's a multi-billion pound spend every year on recruitment and we're 55 million of it. So there's a, there's an awful lot of growth still to come. And I think that's the, that's the journey for the next four or five years. Welcome to the How They Lead podcast, hosted by Benjamin Wade and Ben Stocken. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the world of high performance, showcasing examples of how individuals and teams can reach their full potential. Together, they'll be inviting amazing guests who have defined or represented high performance in their own right. From world record breakers to individuals who have achieved first in their fields, the How They Lead podcast will showcase a diverse range of guests, each with their unique stories and insights to share. So join us as we challenge traditional ways of doing things, explore new ideas, methods and possibilities, and evolve the way people perform. Thank you for joining us on our podcast, How They Lead. Uh, it's going to be a really great episode. I'm really looking forward to this one. As you are probably aware, we're trying to create a library of really unique individual people at the forefront of leadership, whether they're part of a, an amazing leadership team, a high-performing team, they're leading them, they're creating them, developing them. We want to hear from those unique individuals and give our listeners a chance to tap into that knowledge and take away some lessons so that they can too deploy that knowledge and create their own high-performing teams. And today we want to hear from yourself. I think Ben's going to run a little intro and we'll hear all about your background yeah. and how you've achieved success in your own field. Yeah, Logan, welcome. It's a pleasure to have have my, my old boss on the podcast. It's great to be here, Ben. Yeah. This is my chance to grill you, isn't it? Well, completely. I think this is going to be this is going to be one of those awkward ones for me, where actually Logan Logan knows like how I've operated previously. So we, I've already we've already asked you to treat me nicely. I'll um, the gritty stories. That's okay. What I'm there for. Okay. Well, Logan, look, as we, as Ben said, this is all about like people leading at the rock face of leadership, and I've had the pleasure of seeing you in action for for a number of years, and uh, and been a big admirer of what you've done with Dartmouth with with Colonel. So could you share with with everyone who's listening and watching your your journey so far sure so look in, in i guess starting point we are a global recruitment company uh just under 300 heads multi-brand multi-niche which i can talk about later business is now 11 years old uh we've gone through two rounds of 
private equity and have just started the the journey on the next five year cycle. Story in terms of in short, you know, I don't know how much you want to give me as a pre here as a preamble, but started life actually funnily enough in this building twenty two years ago when it was JP Morgan's building. Did three years of corporate finance, was not very good at it. Um, fell into recruitment in two thousand and four and started my first recruitment business in two thousand and five. That resembled a lot of the industry in terms of being essentially a lifestyle business. We got it to about 30 people. Uh, there were three of us that were, were partners running the business. And then I got diagnosed with cancer the day before my first wedding anniversary, which was 2010. We were expecting our first um, eldest child three months, three months, four months later. So um, I had some time out whilst I was having treatment uh, to think about direction of life and what I wanted to do and, and why. And and then started Dartmouth July 2012 with a very explicit aim of trying to scale this business, which so far we've done relatively successfully. Yeah, great. You've dropped some some quite big kind of things there. You talked about obviously cancer and and going through that and, and having a, a, well, starting a young family at the time and then also choosing to start a new business. So yeah, can already see you're quite happy having quite a few plates spinning at the same time, which leads me on to like my first, my first question, which, which is about like how you, how you lead, like the you know, title of the podcast is how they lead. So it would be remiss of us to not kind of get from you in one sentence. What's your, what's your ethos around how you lead people and teams? So I think, I think The Rock so Dwayne Dwayne Johnson, you know, has has his tagline the hardest worker in the room or hardest workers in the room. And my kids joke, they call me the pebble or the stone, depending on where my my, my body is at the time. And the only thing we've really got in common is the size of our noses, but uh, and maybe the colour of our skin. But I think being the hardest worker in the room is probably is probably how I lead, if I'm honest. You know, I don't think I'm the smartest, you know, I'm smart enough. Um, I'm definitely not the most charismatic, but I generally no one's going to outwork me. And did that mantra change when I guess that the two main points that you mentioned there were obviously the, the cancer and also leaving the investment banking and then going to recruitment? Did, did they change either side of those sort of life changing changes or life changing events? Look, I've, I've got a hard, I've got a work ethic kind of ingrained in me, probably from my parents, you know, both my parents are first generation over here. My mum came from a really kind of poor family uh, from Malaysia to study nursing. And my father is South African Indian. You know, he, he died 10 years ago, but, you know, basically ran away from home and uh, ended up here as an illegal immigrant and then kind of worked his way up and actually became reasonably successful. But the, you know, that kind of migrant work ethic was was hardwired in that no one's going to give you uh, a hand up or a hand out. You've got to go and make something uh, on, on your own. Um, and actually, I, I will say openly, I think, you know, uh, the fact that this country allowed my parents in, we were huge beneficiaries of the of the state and some of the, you know, the, the support wasn't just their own hard work. There's an ecosystem that, that kind of exists to help you kind of climb upwards. But the... You know, I, I think that over time, you know, I've, I've always had a decent work ethic. I think the thing that you learn as you get older and maybe mature is how to get more leverage out of yourself and out of others. So, you know, one of the, the kind of conversations Ben and I've had many, many times is work, work hard or work smart. Um, and I'm very much in the work hard camp and work smart. Ben was much more in the work smart camp. And I think it's now adopted the work hard one as well or work harder and i think that the most successful people in the world work hard right that is almost an undisputable fact if you want to pick you know people right at the top of 
their game. You know, Elon Musk does not sleep a lot, right? You know, all that kind of 5 a.m. club, Mark Wahlberg, all that, those kind of people, they wake up early and they get stuff done early. Ben, I think, now wakes up at five o'clock in the morning to get, get, the, get the day started. Yeah, you are basically juggling an awful lot of balls and trying to get as much productivity out of yourself and out of your day. And I appreciate that's a really unfashionable narrative in a world where a lot of the culture will say, you know, you need balance or you need to give more time to yourself. And I'll be honest, I don't think I live, I don't think I live like a robot, right? I've got three kids. I've got, I think, a relatively good social life. You know, I play tennis once or twice a week. I make time to go to the gym every day. And, you know, I try to kind of be really efficient with my time and plan that, that you know, my, my inputs and my cadence are pretty high and that therefore dictates quite a lot of the outputs. And so, yeah, in short, I think, you know, you know we have a phrase, right, which I think Ben's very aware of. We say champions do extra. And, you know, Rock has his phrase, the hardest workers in the room. Pick, pick one of them. I think it works. Okay. I think you raised a really interesting point there that you said you work really hard. So you work hard as opposed to smart or working hard and smart. But then you reeled off the fact that you can play tennis twice a week and you, you do look after yourself. So actually, are you working really effectively and efficiently as opposed to just working hard 10, 11, 12, 13 hours a day? Because most people out there would work hard and not have time to go and play tennis. So how do you plan your week? I think that'd be a really interesting point to delve into for, mm. for most of us out there how do you plan your week and be that effective that you can be smart hardworking, and still have time for yourself yeah look, I, I i would hope that people would say that i've got time for nearly everyone right i'll, I'll give i'll give time i'd hope fairly generously that i won't you know you won't get unlimited time right so i think i am quite, you know if you've got 40 minutes let's try and arrive at a decision or an outcome uh, and and move on Right. And sometimes things take a bit longer and they'll drag, but I like to kind of shift stuff off, you know, off my desk reasonably quickly. Sometimes a bit more thoughts given. Even in the gym, anyone that, you know, runs their own business will know that they're thinking about the business. Right. And so for me, you know, going to, to the gym for, you know, an hour, hour twenty a day, I get my workout in, I will respond to emails, but what I'm doing is I'm thinking about the business, right? What what do I need to do? Where's the business at? What's the rhythm? You know, where are we at culturally, where are we at performance wise? You're thinking all the time, right? You're living and breathing this stuff all the time. And, you know, I think uh, a lot of owners, entrepreneurs, uh leaders will say you, know, you get burnt out by it. I, I don't I've never found it a grind, right? You kind of you chose this, I think everyone has to work, right? I think, you know, they don't, they don't have to, but I, I want to work. And therefore, whilst I'm working, I want to be the best I can possibly be. And I want to create the best business I, I can possibly can and, you know, the best team. And so, you know, that's, that's my balance, as it, as it were. Um, and there's a, there's a discipline to it. My wife will say that that discipline doesn't extend to devices in the household, you know, things like your phone in bed, that kind of stuff. And that I generally, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate and I recover quite quickly, right? I, you know, up until the last couple of years, well, I'll tell you, last year was the first ever two-week holiday I've ever had, ever. Even when I got married, uh, you know, I only had 10 days off. So I took my first two weeks off and that was very deliberate. My oldest son was starting senior school and, you know, the, the kind of catchphrase for that was, let's go make some memories, right? So, but even then, you know, we were in California, I'd wake up at six to go to the gym, uh, do two hours, be online. The time difference works super well for, for the UK and then go have, breakfast my family and, and you know have a have a break but i think yeah there's to discipline another word be purpose just trying to you know make the most of the time you're, that you're engaged and i think a lot of people in our industry but just generally can 
basically be really busy, but shuffling paper from side to side. Yeah, just not getting stuff done, not tackling the big things, um, you know, agonizing over stuff without actually being affected. You know, you, you're not going to get every decision right, but quite often a decision and moving on. And then if it's wrong, pivot, you know, broadly, your instincts probably going to get, get you 80% of the way most of the time, move on. Yeah. So I think without putting words into your mouth and correct me if I am, it sounds like, you know, when I ask you that question about like, how, how do you lead? It comes from a place of you work hard and we can, yes. Okay. At lunch a couple of weeks ago, I did, I did agree that, yeah, I may have been, been slightly wrong with the work smart over the work hard, like hands up now. I, 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 I agree. And I think, I think it is unfashionable, but I think, I think, it, it's necessary. Like certainly I think we've seen in, in, in starting and growing West Peak, like you've just, you've, as a leader, you've got to do all that, all the hard work that people don't see. Um, and so coming back to how you lead like individually, does it come from a place of role model first and then hold the expectation level or is it something else? I've never really thought of it as, as role modeling. You guys will know this. Yeah. You're the backstop, right? Ultimately, you know, something breaks, you're the backstop. Um, and you know, nowadays, if something breaks, you know, we've got, you know, a lot more people who can help out and will help out and we'll, we'll do stuff. But ultimately, you know, your job is the, you know, MD or CEO or whatever it is, you're the, you're the backstop. You know, when it's, when it's going well, you, know, you get some of the reflective glory and when it's going badly, it's on you. Right. And so, you know, my, I, I said this openly, we talked about, you know, I don't know, 40 odd days ago, we closed our P transaction and we kind of talked about to the, to the team, what got us here was hard work. Right, and outworking most other firms in our industry and you know trying to give a service that well you know so don't work everyone know this but you know, we talk about building fans not customers you know you over service and, and out service um in an industry that is known for being complacent and lazy which actually sometimes is is, is really unfair but you know that's that's the general view on the industry and so you, you do that by by basically meeting seeing spending more time with people than than your competitors would. If I was to do this all over again, could I do it more quickly? Maybe, but the the answer would be it, it is just hard work, right? And it's relentless hard work that's that's got us here. There's been there'll be a confluence of events, you know, being being fortunate with timing, meeting the right people along the way. But you know, Gary players can't do this African accent, but Gary players that you know the uh, the the harder I work, the luckier I get. I think it's so true. You mentioned a couple of times there that the hard work, but also culture. So it'd be really interesting to see how how you manage both of them, instilling that sense of culture and whether you going to the gym and getting your, your workouts in and having time for yourself. Is that reflected within the business? Do people feel that they can take time out because actually they're going to be more effective at the end of the day if they do have time for themselves? Or do they need to be at their desks all throughout the day and they can't be seen to take those breaks? How do you manage the cultural element of the business, but also ensuring people are hardworking? That's a great question. I'd, I'd say there's a pre and post pandemic uh, viewpoint here, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to sound like a dinosaur, but it is what I think. So look, I think pre, pre-pandemic, I think you know, we were five days in the office. Um, you know, you can visibly see people, you know, it's a small business as well. You know, we were about, I think, going into the pandemic, I don't know, 100, 100 odd people at Dartmouth, maybe 70, 80, and Pure was about 70, 80, which we just acquired just before, before lockdown. Um, you know, and so, you know, that role modeling, people be able to see pace, you know, learning through osmosis, which I think is actually really important. That's, you know, going to our culture, right? And and we have these in our own households. It's not what you say to your, your kids, right? It's what they see you doing. 
when you don't know they're watching you that's that's the culture they pick up um from from their parents and so you know that existed and people would see me go to the gym and i'm, I'm a big fan of people going to the gym right? i think it's good to go and get a break during the day i'm not a big fan of go to the gym have lunch go and have coffee then come you know it, it's you know you, you pick one right post pandemic you know the last couple of years you've lost a lot of that and people talk about you know cultural atrophying and putting into that cultural bank and banking i, I actually think that i read this in uh, fast company you know i think the thing that we miss the most is pace actually it's not culture um you miss the visible pace and i've been thinking about this and how to articulate this well and i haven't landed there so this this could be um sort of slightly hollow but i think that you know what i've benefited from you know along the way is good role models you know and i've actually actually sought good role models along the way i've paid for them in terms of non-exec and advisors and paid a small fortune for them but i would say that we wouldn't be here without some of the advice and hand-holding i had along the way and that was an investment into me and the business and you know we've i've, I've sought them out as well um in, in all walks of life right it's not just you know, we're talking about performance uh in the workplace but you know i'm a, I'm a christian you know spiritually I've sought sought out elders who can you know who have walked the walk for longer than me. Um, you know people who are good parents. You know we kind of we've we've you know gen, genuinely invited people over for dinner when we typically from church, but you know seem to have raised your kids really well. How have you done that? You know how are they walking their faith in this culture? How do you tackle? Um, I guess some of the some of the the things that are happening in the world uh, or being taught in schools that that would be counter to what we believe you know all these things role modeling is super important um and i think whilst a lot of my senior folk are very capable of working from their homes and they are um what we're missing is actually people being able to see how good they are five days a week and it's it's role modeling right and the, the, you know for, for me again if i was going to do it all over again I wouldn't do any differently. Being honest, I think that if someone offered me the chance to be in the office five days a week, but yeah, that's twenty percent of your week. Uh, if you're at four days a week, uh, but I'd 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 get you know twenty to forty percent more out of my career. So in five years, uh, I'd get somewhere if I was four days a week. But I could, if I was five days a week, I'd get there in six or seven. You know, I get I'd get there in sorry three or four three or four years. Twenty percent quicker. I'd choose the quicker route. Right? You, you haven't got you've got limited time. I'd have picked trying to be successful. And I think if you ask about culture, that's the culture I'd like in the business, right? People who are extremely driven, who understand that time is precious. Um, and, you know, you get one shot at your career, life. You know, that's been my attitude to, to all of it, right? It's kind of, I'm not, definitely, as I said, I'm not most charismatic. I'm, I'm you know, I'm not, I'm not the best looking, but my views are like, oh, you know, does a dating ask? Right, what's the worst could happen? Because they say no, and yeah, that worked out pretty well as well. Right, so yeah, cool. Okay, so I, I like I, I, the bit. The bit that I is, is still eating my head is like it's just annoying that your kids are always watching you when you're when you're at your worst. But at the same time, I guess like your team, your employees, they're always they're always watching you when when you're at your best, hopefully, and at your worst. And I think the bit you said there about about culture and, and post post COVID um, and different ways of working, et cetera. So 
pace is important. I think people being in the same space and having positive collisions, I agree with you. And being able to see high performers in action and, and learning from people is really, really important. So with that in mind, like where are you at at the moment in terms of as a business, in terms of like creating that? How has that been, has that been communicated to, to, to the business? How have you done that? Or is that a work in progress? I think it's a work in progress. I think the, look, I communicate this all the time, right? In terms of what the, what good looks like in our in our business. And it gets harder, right? There are fewer, as we get bigger, there are fewer people who know me personally. Um, you know, we've got great MDs across the group, um, you know, but, you know, they're, they're earlier on in the journey in some ways and, and in some ways finding their feet. In some ways, they're way better managers than I, I am or ever will be, you know, but, you know, I think part of, part of it is trying to find a narrative that, that people can grab hold of. You know, that's obviously really important. And I was actually talking to the, well, my PT yesterday, and you know, he's really into business books, um, and he's reading a book on leadership at the moment. And yeah, he was, yeah, you, he made point, right? People will die for a cause for free, right? If they really believe in it, right? It's not about money. You know, people have, people have uh, you know, been martyred for their faith. People have gone to war for their country. Um, if you give people a cause, they'll they'll go out to fight for you. And you know, we you know, we try and refresh and reframe that all the time. But you know, generally the causes, you know, I think actually what we do, even though it's a much maligned industry, is super important. You know, there are three big decisions that most people will make in life, either consciously or non-consciously. Which god will you worship or follow? Whether that's a person or a thing. So you know, it could be money, could be could be family could be love could be anything right but everyone worships something um two most people will, will at some point ask question who do i spend the rest of my life with and that's, that's generally a, a fact i don't think you can, can argue that that happens for most people and three what am i going to do with my life and i don't know how old your your kids are to help uh, ben stockton's kids are but you know it's it's a conversation that starts to happen right what do i what, what do i what, what are we what are you going to do at a reasonably young age actually and um yeah, that 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 third bit. Given that we spend so much time in the Western world, particularly in big cities, talking about what we do or we do a podcast on it, um, can define uh, or help define and shape your own viewpoint on yourself and others' view on you. Right. So that bit, we're privileged to 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 help people on that journey. You know. So I think actually it's a it's actually a more important job than than a lot of people think. And then doing that at pace, uh, doing it in the right way. You know, how do we convey convey that to to a workforce who, you know, and then and then you know, what's the what's the right way to do it? You know, I think the thing that I get more and more anxious about as we get bigger is that sense of complacency. Of we've made it, um, and you know, I really like the Amazon approach of every day is day one, right? It's day one because day day two is you're, you're heading you're heading towards uh, oblivion. I really like a lot of what you mentioned really resonates with me, especially so just under 12 years in, in the military before sort of management consultancy and the military based on mission, vision and values. So bringing everyone together and having those values aligned. And it sounds like your values and beliefs are a key focal point for you and, and what you've achieved. A leadership program, one of the first things that we look into is personal values and, and motivating values. And then that's the business. And it's quite often eye-opening that people haven't understood what motivates them in terms of their, their vision and values personally. And yeah. then that's the team. So do you think that vision and values play a, an important part in where you've got to in not only your career, but the business as well? 
for people aligned in terms of their values? I think vision, yes. I think in the early days, we talked about wanting to disrupt the industry. And I think in some ways we have, you know, in some ways we've got a long, long way to go. You know, values, the only two that I really talk about, I'll talk about excellence and kindness. And, you know, that's sort of fairly well documented. You know, excellence, the bar just is high, right? It's always high. And, you know, we've already talked about discipline, but, you know, you want, you know, there is a, you want to be acknowledged for being good at something. If you're here, let's be acknowledged for being good at this, right? It's not for everyone as an industry. It could be quite a peripatetic industry in terms of people's career spans. But if you're going to do something, let's do it well, right? And do it together. And then kindness bit, you know, for me, look, you'll never hear me shout at anyone. You know, Ben's word me, I, I won't, um, you know, people are frustrating, right? But we'll try and speak in a fair way to them, even and try to tackle you know, some of the issues in a, in a compassionate way. It doesn't mean avoiding difficult conversations because we have lots of difficult conversations, uh, typically around performance behaviours. But but the you know the, the base the base case is that we'll try and do that in the in the right way. There's um those, I think those 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 that's been our approach to to the business uh, so far. Yeah, there's 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 a there's a something that I share with 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 all of the companies that that we work with. We get invited in to kind of develop their leaders and um the kindness bit that resonated with me at Dartmouth was, I hope I haven't made this up and you actually did say this because otherwise it's going to burst a bubble for me. But I think I can remember in like in one of our town halls or even before we did town halls, when we did like a, an end of week wrap up, I think I remember like on a number of occasions you saying that kind of the, the reason why kindness is, is so important it, from a moral perspective, like that, that's easy. Like, you know, you should want to, you should want to be, be kind and help out your fellow human, but, but also from a commercial perspective, like all things being equal, and I hope this is verbatim, all things being equal, people will want to do business with with people that are the kindest people and the people that that, that they like. And and that that that's really stuck with me in our business. So either I made that up or you did say it. I'll have to find out now. Don't let the truth get in the way of good stuff. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, it's actually true. No, it's, it's true. Right. It's, look, there's a commercial angle to it as well. Right. You know, I think that, you know, it's not, I don't think it's fluffy. There's commerciality to it in terms of both the sales aspect in terms of people liking you um and wanted to do business with you but then the flip the flip side is people wanted to work with you um and again you know it, it doesn't mean we don't have awkward conversations we've exited or lost people that don't fit into our way of doing things either through misaligned values or behaviors um or ambitions right and um you, you know i'm generally okay with that you know we won't get it right every time sometimes you, you you've got to stop and reflect and work out is it is it me or is it them you can't always just say it's them but broadly some of the, the most of the big calls i think we get right i'm honest because it's fairly easy to work out you know i, I like people who are sort of humble achievers and you know it's like ben knows most of our leadership i think they tick tick those, those boxes in abundance right we're not we're not chess beaters in the industry that's full of full of them um they're hard-working they're humble they're diligent um, they are smart, uh, and that's that resonates hopefully through the business. Yeah, you know, this is not not always about who you know who's billing the most, and that's one of the you know, metrics for our industry is clearly kind of uh, sales generation. But yeah, I think that the, the kindness bit's got a very strong commercial edge to it. I like the terminology you use. They said um, that the people that work with you, you didn't say for you, which is quite refreshing to hear. In terms of that that team element, what do you think is the glue that binds your team together? If you're going to put put something out there that, that people could take away, what would you say is the the glue for your team at the moment? I so I think we've got a very 
strong sense of common purpose around the MD group around, you know, we've got an opportunity to take what we've done and turn this into a global force. You know, it's been, I think they've been, you know, we're in stage three of the journey. The first part of the journey was just getting up and running, surviving. We got first product around after six years. That was a kind of first rubber stamping externally of, okay, you're doing something well. Uh, and you built a business of, of, of value and worth investing in. The second thing was taking that concept and uh, starting to, to scale it and let it let it mature. That's taken us on the next four years to you know where we are today. And I think the third stage is extrapolating that out. You know we've got a classroom to boardroom model, which I've not spoken about, but taking early stage talent and tracking them all the way through their their careers. But there's significant opportunity to to keep growing that, keep going up the food chain, internationalizing the business, and yeah, we leave an awful lot of work uh, on the table with either competitors or stuff that doesn't come our way. And it's a massive industry, right? So it's a, it's a, it's a multi-billion pound spend every year on recruitment and we're 55 million of it. So there's, a, there's an awful lot of growth still to come. And I think that's the, that's the journey for the next four or five years. Yeah, but put, put simply, if, if I look, you've asked them, you know, I think that they find it, you know, it's, it's an interest. People are interesting. They're frustrating, but they're interesting. And you've asked you know, in the first 30 minutes, you know, how do we how do we approach it? How do we set the vision, the ambition, the goals? It's constantly moving because you're trying to set the agenda and not have that set uh, by the you know outside culture or or the world or short termism. You know, there's so many things that can affect and pollute you know what you're what you're trying to do and distract you. And we're trying to keep purity of purpose. If we keep doing the right thing over and over and over again, it will pay dividends, but you've got to stay on that track. It was yeah. really timely. I was asked yesterday by a, a client, how do you effectively communicate your sense of purpose or your vision and purpose? How do you communicate that out through the business so it doesn't get distorted or diluted? So that'd be my question to you now that you've mentioned it. How do you effectively communicate your vision and that one goal, one purpose effectively down through the business? Yeah, I think I think there are two or three ways. Right, one is top top down, right? In terms of you know the message I, I give from as Ben said, quarterlies, town halls, etc. Two is what ripples through your next uh, group of people that help lead the business, and and how do you help them steer 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 the company or their their teams? So you know breaking that down into kind of leadership through through others. Um, uh, and then I think three, probably some of the, the kind of building blocks that you try to institutionalize. So things like onboarding, um, uh, you know, constant reiterating of the message. This is what good looks like. This is how we behave. Um, you know, I, I've used this analogy a, a, a few times, I think, but, you know, when your kids go to school, day one, they have no idea what's going on. And my eldest started a new school in September. And he found it really frustrating having really known his way around his his uh, junior school to suddenly everything was bewildering. He's the smallest kid in a bigger school. But, you know, after one or two weeks, um, he's locked into, okay, the bell goes, I'm due here on a Monday. It goes again. I pick up my books, I go here. You follow a pattern pretty quickly and you want to try and institutionalize some of those processes so that people fall into lockstep with your walking rhythm versus just having 300 people marching to their own, own beat. If you cast your mind, I don't know if you've seen it, but you cast it to Dead Poet Society. Yeah. When Robin Williams has the marching around that courtyard, um, and and yeah, you have one. I think it's called New Wonder, but it's kind of opting out 
but the rest all start falling into a rhythm of marching together. You know, and there's, um, you know, there's also safety, right, in that as well, not being part of a tribe and being part of a team. Um, there's a there's a safety and a comfort to that, but it's it's powerful, right? Most people would rather be part of a team than than, than islands in life. Like we all we all basically look for our tribe. Yeah, I think um, I completely completely resonate with that. I think tribalism is is massive in terms of like group dynamics, turning groups into teams. And there was a, I can't remember it was like an all or nothing, like Amazon all or nothing. You know, they follow a sports team, etc. There was there was one that was ages and ages ago. I think it was back in the day where they were just doing like NFL teams. And their onboarding process within the team was actually it wasn't the captain or or, or the coach that, that did the onboarding and, and welcomed the new player and showed them like how to train, ways of working, etc. It was the last player in, and and that peer to peer kind of transfer of of the tribal ways that that echoes back kind of you know back generations. And I think I think that that's a really interesting part you say about you know creating processes around onboarding and tribalism and. And that glue that the Ben questioned you what you about like binds people together. So I, I think that's that's a really interesting bit. And there are rituals, right? I know you're you're a big fan of this as well, but you know uh, the All Blacks book Legacy, um, you know, is so powerful uh, around this is the way that you know we we do things. You know, we you know, we win a World Cup, we celebrate it for 24 hours, and then we reset. It starts again, right? You have got 24 hours. You lose in a semi final, you mourn for 24 hours, you reset we go again you know we're obviously uh, big fans of things like sweeping the sheds and leaders eating last and stuff like that but that's you know, that is just a you know, part of the ritualism of how we go about building building the teams and what people are ex- expected to 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 fall into right and i really i'm a big fan of you know, we're, we're stewards for the next generation and that's the way i think about uh the, the business right i think one of the failings of uh businesses um quite often which I suspect family-owned businesses don't don't have as much, but you are trying to build a business forever, uh, not for the short term. Uh, and so, you know, you want short-term success. You want to take it as far as you can, but let's let's make sure that when our time is up, we, we pass it on in better shape. Uh, and my my view you know, is that over the next five, ten years, however long I've, I've got left of the business, I want to hand hand the keys over to, to you know the next person, and it's in better shape than. Uh, where I took it on and, and they they kick it on. I've done my done my job brilliantly. Right, the last thing I want is for it to 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 go backwards. You know, I don't actually think that's uh, you know sometimes people have that ego around it can't survive without me. But you haven't done your job properly. Right, as a big build, building leadership. Yeah, and I think I, I I've had obviously the inside track and kind of seeing Dartmouth relative relatively early and and then and then following what's happened since since I left the business. And I think I think it's really clear to me that that was started like you were very conscious about about creating that that culture those try that tribalism and those ways of working and expectations and behaviors from from day one i think i think a lot of the people that that listen to listen to the podcast now will be like trying to you know take some golden nuggets away i think if you try and kind of implant that into a much bigger organization after it's after it's grown i think it's a lot harder and i think some of like one of the key key kind of wins i can see from from how you've built built group and and dartmouth is is having that those ethos is from day one and they've they've echoed through and so i think you've you've been able to kind of have that organically spread through the business rather than go oh okay now we need some ways of working and some values and, and a cause i think I, I can see that cause has, has run through um my my, my my next question for you logan is about um probably like your your maybe your biggest challenge now which is like followership so 
it's not about like how how do you help people follow you but actually you said yourself earlier on you like backstop now so how have you gone about the transition from like leading from the front you know being the being the, the hardest work in the room to now as you said you've got you've got a group of managing directors who are you're leading through leaders so how have you gone through that journey of, of now following their decisions or their their understanding of of how to achieve the objective yeah I think that by hook or by crook, we're, we are super privileged to have a group of MDs who I think are, you know, I've said this already, like humble, uh, interested, interesting. You know, we, you know, I think we're, you know, our management team just gets better and better over the years. Uh, we're finding a better rhythm of how to work together, how to challenge each other without all falling out and walking out of the room in a sour, sour way. You know, I think we bear one with one another and our foibles really well, you know, I include myself in that right i've got my own quirks uh and so you know sort of check and challenge along the way is 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 good healthy debate um it doesn't always work like this but we try to encourage this like you leave it in the room right don't go and have the stairwell conversations afterwards and the side conversations um uh and you know we, we are all aligned right in terms of growing the company and trying to get to the next peak whatever that is you know whatever the next marker is we're we're pretty super aligned on that you know and i think that the one thing that we've definitely learned along the way and i've learned along the way right it there's there's not one way to do it there's not always just one single right right way so um not everyone's right all the time let's have the debate and then again find a decision and move on and i i actually think people don't see this of me i actually think i'm surprisingly laid back on quite a lot of things um i have some very clear red lines on certain things which people probably know not to cross but I'm I'm generally I don't I don't I don't I don't tend to sweat a lot of the small stuff, and actually that's probably why the MDs are better than me because they're, they're probably a bit more detail on quite a lot of things. I've got a question there, but if you can just bear in mind what you thought of when you said what was your next peak, because we've got a really question <laughs> to come up and to follow with that. So if you can just think about what you what flashed into your mind when you thought about your next peak, that'd be great. But in, in terms of those uh, MDs and nurturing that high performance within that team in quite a quick way. What, what do you think is the key for that? Like most people say sort of vulnerability or empathy or how, how do you ensure high performance in a team over a very short time period? What's the key to that? Because that's going to be something that a lot of listeners will want to take away and emulate within their businesses. What do you think is key for you? Everyone set really, really clear goals in our business. You know, short term, long, you know, medium term. We've got, and actually we've got a long term goal. Right? We've got very clear markers. You know, we're fortunate in our industry, the scorecard is, is, is revenue and profit. And we clearly look at that. But we've got you know softer things you know so so things uh, like our MPS score you know staff culture ramp is what we use for for internal reporting you know so we, we we definitely look at the data and keep the data but you know the the kind of on a monthly basis are we going forwards or backwards based on based on work one work executed uh, are people's careers going forwards yeah this is an interesting year because for the last two and a half years we've had um, an economy. That because it was shut down, right? We're playing catch up, and everyone has had a good two years. I think there are not that many businesses, um, maybe outside of hospitality, that have not grown in the last couple of years. This is the first year where everyone's having to suddenly take stock and say, "Well, it's not as easy as we thought thought it was." I'm sure you guys have those conversations. Right? Growth came so easily. Pile heads in. We're winning. We're winning. We're winning. Suddenly, everyone's like, "Whoa, might might have not cracked this." Um, and for People who are sort of sitting around my age, you know, kind of like, look, we, we kind of knew it was come, right? You know, the, there's no end 
to boom or bust. We move in cycles. It's a good reset year for that. And it's harder, right? It's, it's much easier when it's winning and everyone has that sense of winning. But I also think that sometimes you're dealing with a runaway train and the, the details get missed because of it. And so I think there's a good chance for everyone to, to kind of retake stock and are we doing the basics really, really well? Nice. Yeah, it comes back to that consistency you mentioned earlier, doing the basics, doing them well, even when no one's looking, just like the parenting that we've all mentioned as well. Yeah. Do it consistently. I like that. Having those standards in place. Which brings us on to our West Peak question. So West Peak, like the name is is based on kind of skill acquisition and people people understanding that, you know, you, you learn a little bit of something and you think that that's that's the peak, but actually that's your false summit. And and then you realize, oh my goodness, like I, I know nothing. So what's what if you reflect back, what is one of your like seminal West Peak moments where you've you've been like, Oh, there's loads more to learn here? Or is it still to come? Is it something that you've seen in the future and actually you're still you're still getting there? You haven't reached the pinnacle yet. Clearly, clearly haven't, right? Every I mean, we talk about it, otherwise we'd, we'd pack up and go home, all right? So, you know, I think there have been four markers along the way, right? Getting the business to 30 people or starting the business, getting to 30 people, getting to 50 people, getting to 100 and then getting it to 300 and the next step is getting to, to 500 and we'll have a third brand in the group um, come, come October time. Um, all of it brings new growth pains and new challenges right so we spent a lot of time talking about dissemination of culture and values and goals um they're, they're different pain points because your processes and systems get stretched um and it's almost like you cut your cloth to to fit a hundred person business you then go and you and you stretch that cloth to as you get to 200 and actually what you need to do is take it off and recut it uh, and that's one of the challenges is, is you grow no you know it's all, obvious truism you don't know what you don't know right but the you know you, you're constantly walking as you go into you in growth mode new territory it's actually easier when you're on the back foot you know when we went into the pandemic i hadn't had a pandemic in my lifetime before but i'd had a recession it's like, like i know the i know the playbook here right i know i know the playbook because i've worked through two two recessions before it's you know preserve cash hunker hunker down get everyone in in survival mode right straight away you know and the whole start of the pandemic well the whole pandemic was was completely different uh and hopefully a once in a lifetime thing for us but you know we've all seen what recessions can do to businesses and so you know answer your question what's the what's the next the next peak the next the next peak for me as we get bigger is is taking what's worked and, and evolving it and adapting it you know it, it won't it can't always work where you know giving a good example of the early in the early days you know, 10 direct reports up to me it's all man management right it's hearts and mind man management um you know i think that's why a lot of these businesses don't don't scale in our industry and um, because it works it's actually quite fun right having everyone kind of feed off your energy and, and kind of uh be you know semi-dependent on you but that dependency culture long term is is terrible for that other people's careers might be really good for your your ego and your sense of your own personal sense of worth but it's actually not good for their careers and i'm trying to you know, constantly deconstructs this sense of dependency. And I know you guys spend a lot of time about it. It's like, we're trying to make you self-standing so that when you get to your summit and realize it's a false summit, you're not sitting there going, oh, what do I do? You're like, okay, I knew this was coming. I know exactly what what, what I need to do. Um, and for me, there's always another peak, right? You, you know, I, I, well, my view is that, you know, there's always a bigger fish out there. So, yeah, we we have a state today we're trying to be number one or number two in every market we operate in. As far as I'm concerned, we're always number two, right? There's always something. There's always someone to go after, or someone bigger, or someone better, um, and th- therefore it's more fun chasing than being chased, isn't it? 
Yeah. So you don't necessarily want to achieve your summit. You always want to be on the back foot, stretching yourself, always trying to achieve more. Well, yeah, but there are different summits, right? So there are different different peaks along the way. And so, you know, my, my view is that we're here, we've got three or four more to climb and every, every three to five year cycle, you kind of reset another big goal. You know, our first goal was build a 20 million pound company. We did that and it was a hundred million pound company. That felt like a, a big, big number at the time. And I got kind of semi-bullied by one of our MDs to say that openly. I said it openly and then I bought myself more time. That'll take us 10 years. We did it in four, <laughs> right? I'm now saying, you know, pretty openly, let's try and create a 300 million pound company, right? You know, might take us to 10 years, might, might do it in five. We're hoping to do it in five. Yeah. Right. Exciting, nice. yeah, exciting. A, a good answer to the question. There's, um, there's, a, there's a bit there that I just want to kind of reverse back to because it was, it was really, really important. I think there's that uh, elixir of like the dopamine hit you get from hero mode, which you were talking about, which is like having that everyone needs me as a leader, everyone needs me, etc. And I think that that's a really important, like a really important tripwire for all, all leaders, whether you're leading a team of five, you know, three, one person, or you're leading a 300 person business, like that dopamine hit that we all crave when we go in to save the day, as you said, kind of does your people a disservice and actually gets you down into the weeds being less effective, which is exactly what you shared at the very beginning. Like you need to be the hardest worker in the room, but you need to be working on the highest value tasks. And I think that's, those are some really important lessons that that I can certainly take away, and I think people can take away from our, our conversation. Logan, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure, like chat, chatting to you again and, and and learning learning kind of your journey, your your approach to to how you lead. So thank you very much for for coming on the How You Lead podcast. Thanks for joining us on the How They Lead podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and learned something new about the world of high performance. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. And don't forget to subscribe to the How They Lead podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. Until next time, keep pushing yourself to reach your full potential and evolve the way you perform. And remember, just because something has always been done a certain way, doesn't mean doing it a new way can't work. <laughs>